Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello. Hello. Oh, I can't wave. I have to actually say hi. <laughs> John actually was waving, and I thought it was because I forgot to turn his mic on or something. <laughs> what? What's this? A mistake? Inconceivable! <laughs> What's happening? Nothing really exciting. All right. Thank you for listening. End of show. <laughs> we'll see you later. Tell them what they've won on The Price is Right. Come on down. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I don't know. Whatever. Remember yeah. when uh, we played D&D? Or I don't know if you played D&D with me. We I've, played never, other games. I've never played D&D with you. Okay, we've played Rollmaster. What'd you call me? That's right. Did um, Did you guys use the phrase Monty Hall when a when a dungeon master would like give lots of cool things away? You know, he was like Monty Hall, <laughs> you know, cool artifacts and stuff no, like that. never. Never. Mon- are you are you denying role playing at all here? I'm not you denying just, okay, that. You're just no, denying D and D. I'm just I'm denying D and D, and I'm denying ever using Monty Hall. <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually was our DM, so he would bring some busty blonde woman too to give away the prizes. So that was really cool. Yeah, and at the end of your mission, you got rice aroni. <laughs> I think that was it. Ding ding ding. So uh, this week I uh, was accosted again for being a vegetarian. Really? Yep. Yeah, that's that's right. We are vegetarians. We don't mention that very often on the show. We are vegetarians. We we are vegetarians. I yeah, we're into nutrition to some degree. We might even talk about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be taking a trip uh, again for work, and uh, I was speaking to a colleague, and uh, she she said, uh, "Are you going to eat fish? Do you eat fish? That kind of thing." Because we're we're looking at going to a restaurant and seeing meeting up with some people out there and at the show and. Um, I guess there's some uh, still some some angst about me being vegetarian out in the world. Angst? Yeah. You think it's actually angst? Yeah, and I and I'm I can't tell. And this is not just this one person because this happens all the time. I mean, I'm, I don't want to pick on people. I'm just using this as an example. But all the time, anytime you 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 speak to someone about being a vegetarian, and and they always go through that list of things that you won't eat, and it's almost as if they're trying to validate themselves. Well, it's that insecurity thing, I think, again. I get it a lot. I hear it. You know, there's there's a guy I used to share lunch with at work, and basically every day he would eat meat. That was it, meat. You know, he might put it on Wonder right Bread. Off the bone? He, well, sometimes, actually, yeah. But he would eat meat sometimes with Wonder Bread, a big honk and slice of bleached white flour bread. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Wonder Bread. You can actually shape it like clay. It's, it's right. Yeah, and when it's very starchy and fresh, you can, like, make, little balls out of it and hurl them at people and they're quite quite formidable <laughs> weapons too wasn't that what captain kirk shot at the gorn in the star trek <laughs> episode well they're hard like diamonds you know when you anyway go ahead I, I, that one i have not, well i've got really nothing else to say about that other than it, it seems like there's again there's this misconception that if you're a vegetarian that you can't eat out anywhere and there are lots and lots of restaurants and, and even good restaurants high class restaurants that have uh meals that are are vegetarian 
So, um, when I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. When I was in Colombia, they actually, uh, we were in Bogota and I thought we were on the way home to go to their house to eat, but instead they pulled off and then we're in front of this really fancy looking restaurant. And they said, this is a vegetarian restaurant. We're taking you here. Hmm. And I thought, well, under normal circumstances, this would be really cool, but I'm not sure I know Spanish well enough or either of you know English well enough to talk about my food allergy to them. So I'm not really comfortable eating here. So, but it looked like a wonderful restaurant and it was, it was this beautiful restaurant. I mean, it, it, the presentation was amazing. It was a, a beautiful building and there were lots of people there and it was, you know, very, it looked like a very popular place. Hmm. Maybe next time um, I'll go back. Yeah. And if they can scope it out ahead of time, maybe they can find out. Exactly. Make some calls on, on my behalf. What else was it you were telling me about nutrition though and vegetarianism, for example? What else was I talking about? Up in your kitchen before. I don't remember. <laughs> You're going to have to remind me. I'm serious. <laughs> it was the uh, the thing about just vegetarian diets, the study you would... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, a bit of news. I, didn't, I forgot about that. There was a uh, an article that I had read about um, a study that came out saying that if you're a vegetarian, that you're basically uh, going to lose weight. People who have not changed anything in their, their lifestyle, they haven't changed um, the exercise that they do, uh, their work habits, their sleep habits, nothing like that. They just stopped eating animal fats and animal uh, proteins and um, they they lost on average of one pound a week and uh, they kept it off just by staying vegetarian and they essentially said they had more energy and they felt better so and i think they even said going vegan is is even better for you because it's more efficient uh, burning the the vegetable proteins so so there (laughs) this reminds me of uh, something that was said at work uh, the other day by one of my coworkers. one of the girls at work went on that master cleanse diet master cleanse diet i don't know if you're familiar Does that with it involve it. like colonics mm, i don't know what a colonic actually is i've heard the word a enemas? lot but no there's no enemas <laughs> but what you do do is you fast and you you to to get the nutrition you're taking in is a drink that's maple syrup lemon juice water and cayenne pepper and it's supposed to be very cleansing for your system so it's high in in calories but it's not solid food and it's supposed to help cleanse your system and then after you can stay on this as long as you want. I know a girl who stayed on it for six weeks. That's all she had? Yeah, that's all she had. And this girl at work, I think, was going to stay on it for a week. And then they wean you back on a solid food. You start with some you know, veg- uh, some fruits, some raw fruits and some vegetables. And then over the course of a few days, they wean you back on the solid food. And I'm not sure her body was quite ready for this because by the end of the week when she had started on the, the fruits, she wasn't feeling good. She was supposed to go to the Biddy show actually and didn't show up because that day she was just – she had no strength. So she probably needed to start eating more solid food. I mean obviously a fast isn't for everyone. But yeah. here's what one of the guys I work with said because she had gone vegan. Um, she used to be vegan and then she stopped. And then with the new year, her resolution was to go vegan again. So one of the guys that I work with, who's not the best eater in the world, said out loud in the office, well, she'd feel fine if she ate real food. Real food? Yeah, because cool. fruits and vegetables, of course, aren't real food. No, they're virtual food. They don't exist. <laughs> they don't <laughs> supply sustenance. You couldn't actually live on them at all. No, not at all. So anyway, I don't know. I, you know, every credible study over the last 40 years that wasn't sponsored by the meat cutters unions has said that, you know, animal proteins, red meat diets in particular are bad. But mm-hmm. and, and anybody who's denying it at this point is just crazy. They're they're in denial, you know? I mean, they're just nuts. Yeah, and and I'm still amazed at 
at how people can still go on this Atkins thing. I mean, this Atkins craze. The heart disease diet? Yeah. I mean, yeah, studies actually have shown that the Atkins diet works in the short term. You lose weight. And I'm pretty sure that if you change your diet radically in any way, you're probably going to start losing weight. Certainly there'd be some changes. I mean, I yeah. were, one of the guys I work with went on the Atkins thing, and he lost 50 pounds. But he stopped the diet, and then he put it all back on. Yep, and I've talked to people who have been on the Atkins thing, and they said that, that they have felt from their own experiences that the reason why they've lost weight on the Atkins diet right up front is because they just can't stuff that much meat in their body. It, they get disgusted with eating that stuff, so they stop eating in general. They, they reduce the amount of intake, a cal- caloric, in, uh, caloric intake, period. Cleric intake. Cleric, yeah, <laughs> claritin. No, they, they, they reduce the amount of caloric intake, period, so... To me, that's that's the most basic diet in the world. It's not a, an Atkins thing, right? And any, even if you don't take, even if you don't change the kind of foods you eat, if you eat less and exercise, you're going to lose weight anyway. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the simplest diet, right? Calculate how many calories you're taking in, do some exercise, figure out how many calories you're burning in a day, and if one of those numbers is higher than the other, you'll gain weight. If you flip it around, you'll lose weight. If those numbers are the same, you're going to stay the same. It's really simple math. Right. All things being equal, of course. I mean, there are some medical conditions which sure. force you to right. retain these things. So, Yep, absolutely. And green tea, by the way, is great. It speeds up your metabolism and it encourages you to lose weight. And I think uh, large doses of cayenne pepper <laughs> speed things right through your system. I love cayenne pepper. Mm-hmm. It's the bomb. <laughs> Especially when it's uh, put on your food with a bam kind of motion. <laughs> That's is it well is it a bam sound or just the bam motion it's the motion it's and the, the sound yeah you have you don't have to actually say it i think he just says it for effect but when you actually sprinkle it on your food from like 30 feet away it, it makes it taste better actually the story about why he says that is kind of funny he was doing a cooking show i don't know if it was when he was you know america's celebrity chef on food tv but he was doing a cooking show and there were some people not paying attention and he just went bam you know when he spiced something just to try to like shock them and wake them up so that's sort of funny but you know the rest of his shtick is just getting a little old <laughs> it doesn't work anymore yeah so we got a tune we do who is it um it's uh this uh william gangle guy you tell me about him i don't think it's uh, william gangle I think oh you know later. what you know what i've re- i've reversed them i'm sorry <laughs> so what are we gonna I'm a play bad engineer today which one are we gonna play your friends. Do you know who we're talking about? You're talking about your who? obsession with I the don't biddies. Even, I don't even wear perfume. <laughs> oh, we're going to play the lascivious biddies? Again, yes. Oh, well, this will be the last time we play them for a while because we're out of pod safe music, so they'll have to get us some more material. What's this one called, anyway? Wichita. Let's check it out. Wichita is no Kansas City The young folk are mowing The cattle are clean Down on the banks of the Chisholm River The white-haired old women Starting to sing I wish, I wish I could float away Buried in silver For all of my days Buckets of nickels Buckets of nickels Buckets of nickels too The widows are many The husbands have left them on golden wings Up to Valhalla to rest there in plenty Leaving the women folk down here to sing But down on the banks of the Chisholm 
the house dresses fly. Born on the winds of wishes, a passing them by. And under their silvery tresses, their eyes are gleaming as if they still can dream. Oh, yes, they still can dream. I wish, I wish I could flow away, buried in silver for all of my days. Buckets of nickels, buckets of nickels, buckets of nickels to carry me. good tune as always that's a nice track i like that one a lot i don't think i've heard any of their songs that i don't like how many negatives are in that sentence um let's see is there a song of theirs i don't like Mm, yeah yeah it's not that i dislike it but i'm indifferent to uh, a couple of them (laughs) you hear that guys if you're listening to the show rich doesn't like you i didn't say that that's my interpretation all right, fine. But they're usually right. <laughs> what are we drinking today, anyway? This is, uh, I think it's a Chilean. I think it is. Is it? It's Spanish or Chilean? Um, yeah, this is a uh, 2003 Cabernet called Piña Lolan. Is it Chilean, does it say? Because I know I bought some Spanish and some South American wines the last time I, I was there. It's from the Maipo Valley. Mm, and is uh, that in Chile? I'm not sure. Yep, Santiago, Chile. There it is. What we do know is that the label and some of it is in Spanish. Yes, it definitely is in Spanish. There's a tilde. I see it. <laughs> so it could be from, no, it's from Chile. Great. Love it. Yeah, it's uh, pretty good stuff. 
it's different as you pointed out it's there's a bitterness to it or something you know uh but it's good i like bitterness i drink coffee black um occasionally i'll uh i'll just chew on rubber it's good stuff <laughs> yeah i could definitely see you doing that it's, uh... <laughs> when you're in one of your foul moods which is often uh well yeah i've, I've heard that before from my wife <laughs> yeah so you know the truth <laughs> the truth or consequences do you remember uh to tell the truth that television show mm-hmm. i don't remember quite what it was about it was i think um someone came out and each person would say hi i am and oh would... the three people yeah weird, uh, weird bit of synchronicity there um to tell the truth was actually featured on a, a movie who leonardo dicaprio was in you came into the house today and said we should talk about leonardo dicaprio i deny that <laughs> I deny knowing who Leonardo yeah, DiCaprio Rich, He was that inventor, right? Rich said, let's talk about Leonardo DiCaprio. He's really dreamy. <laughs> I said, let's do a show making fun of Leonardo DiCaprio, actually, I think. John added the dreamy part in his kitchen while I was heating my lunch. Yeah. Catch Me If You Can was the film. Which, it was a Spielberg film. With I liked Mr. it Hanks? Yeah, I like that. I got to rent that one of these days. I you heard haven't that seen was it? Good. No. No, it was a good film. I liked the, the, the style that they used. On, it was a very 50s kind of thing. On general principle... I don't rent Leo films. <laughs> the last thing I really liked him in was What's Eating Gilbert Grape. That was a long time ago. And that was that may be, still be his best performance. He was really good in that. Yeah, he was pretty good. He's, he's pretty good in everything. He has some talent. I mean, I won't deny it. It's just for a while he was the, the heartthrob. He was on all the teen magazine covers. And, you know, my friend's 13-year-old daughter loved him, you know, when the Titanic came out. I'm sorry, not the Titanic. Titanic came out. Well, in France, it's probably Le Titanic. I do remember, though, that Arnold gave, uh, what's his name, the director, the Academy Award or whatever he won it for, best director mm-hmm. or best picture. Cameron. <laughs> Cameron, James Cameron. And Arnold was up there saying, yes, the winner is the Titanic. So he said <laughs> the, but anyway, he got it wrong. So the truth. Anyways, I, I, uh, I interrupted you rudely. It's so unlike you. <laughs> I'm the mad interrupter here. <laughs> oh, bite me? <laughs> Wow. John actually said something that could be construed as negative and almost an expletive even. Yeah. And actually, if you listen to like podcast number 70 from the Lascivious Biddies, you'll hear John swear, actually. It's a rarity. I think it's number 70. It's the uh, the live interview with us at SUNY IT at the gig they played. John swore. It's way in the background. It's overwhelmed by the background music that's being played, but I think he said no BS. Yeah, Having kids made me put a filter on my mouth. I used to have a foul tongue. He does, actually. He did have a foul <laughs> tongue, and uh, I still do, and he does have a filter on his mouth. It's mm-hmm. a surgical mask. It's mm-hmm. a, it's it's actually... Uh, it's digital. <laughs> it's actually asbestos, isn't it? <laughs> Duct tape. <laughs> Kevlar. <laughs> so the truth. I, I kind of pitched this idea of a topic to John a couple of months ago or six weeks ago or so after I had seen that film, Good Night and Good Luck, because there was a moment in there where... The um, the Murrow character is delivering a speech, and he's I'm paraphrasing at best. I don't remember quite how it went, but he said something like, "I don't believe that there has to be a a, a true objectivity in truth. I don't believe." And he was kind of talking about the idea that it's possible to tell a story without giving it a little slant. And then he doesn't apologize for that. He says, "You know, he thinks that's a good thing." So. 
I pitched John the idea of talking about the truth, and I guess I was thinking of it in terms of the context of the news. For mm-hmm. example, the example I gave him in my email was, if a piece of news happens to show, if, if our president, for example, is doing something bad, of course, he would never do that, but I'm saying if he was doing something purely bad, hypothetical. purely hypothetical, if he were doing something wrong, illegal even, power's not given him by, let's say, I'm gonna, the I'm going to go out on a limb here. If, if the president were tapping our phones domestically. Good example. I know it's a, out of nowhere. <laughs> Crazy talk. Shot in the dark. But if he did, and if it was, I mean, that's everyone can agree that that's wrong. Well, I guess that needs to be determined by the courts, you know, whether or not he has those powers. But let's just say he was doing that. And the news talks about the fact that uh, the president uh, has authorized the NSA to wiretap on his word only. And there's still some question whether or not that's legal. It needs to go through the legal processes. You know, I have guys at work, for example, that would say that, that that's a liberal story. Because, but what it's doing is it's telling the truth. So is there truth is my question. And did that story have a liberal bias because it happened to tell the truth that shed bad light on the president? Just because my argument is just because a story doesn't or sheds negative light on a person doesn't make it a bad story or a liberal story in this case. You know, I I agree that the, the story itself in and of itself is not liberal. I mean, if the truth is the truth, if, if it's just facts, it's not liberal, it's not conservative it's not republican it's not democrat but but this, this is what we were saying earlier or at least i was saying earlier if there's editorial uh decisions that have to be made there are millions of stories out there and if a certain group of people are choosing certain types of stories that are generally pointing out the faults of the president then that can be construed the the, the editorial nature of of the the entire broadcast might be construed as liberal. But the story itself is not. Definitely not. I had a, a series of emails that a friend of mine named Ron, you, you, you remember, he used, you remember him. <laughs> he used to live around here. And a few years ago, we went back and forth about the concept of the truth, you know, and we debated whether or not there was a truth. And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that the only truth was the search for truth. But that's just a little sidebar I threw in. <laughs> the search for truth. What was that from? Well, we talked, I mean, what's from our emails. No, it sounds like a phrase, like a, a bad television show, the search for the truth. I don't know. Anyways. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was, um, what was the show you were talking about? To the tell the show? truth. Maybe it was to tell the truth. Do you remember Beat the Clock? That I do remember. <laughs> do you remember The Liars Club? That I do remember. <laughs> the wow. Gong, the Gong Show. Wait, yeah, definitely. Make me laugh. Definitely make me laugh. <laughs> Here he is, Kipadada. <laughs> <laughs> they had all these B comedians on there. So anyway, I actually feel pretty strongly about this because I don't think our media is doing a very good job of reporting on this presidency, for example. You know, they don't question anything. It, it's as if the White House press secretary is a news source that requires no scrutiny. Everything that comes out of that office is accepted as the truth, and nobody goes... Well, geez, that doesn't even make sense if you think about it for a second. So how could it stand up to scrutiny if we actually investigated it? Yeah, and, and my t- whole take on on the truth and, and the media is I think that there's this uh, this tendency for the media to hold themselves up and saying that, that we are objective and we are pushing forth the truth, when in reality, I don't think any human being choosing to put a story on the air 
putting words together, stringing words together for a story for uh, maybe 30 seconds on, on a report. I don't think they can do anything but put some of their own personal feelings into it. I mean, even if it's the slightest. Um, so, and I don't think I have a problem with it either. And I, and I think that the problem that I've got is people saying that they're objective when they couldn't possibly be objective. No human being could be objective. So I think the news should just get off its high horse and say, look, we're choosing these stories because they're important and because they have relevance to you. Who cares if we're choosing these stories and we're not being a machine and putting forth every single fact. But at the same time, I also think that there's networks out there. I'm not going to name names Fox. I think there's some, some Mr. Subliminal. Yeah. I think there's some networks out there that are going out of their way to only provide, you know, the, the one side of the story. Not that there's always two sides of a story anyway. I mean, if somebody's just doing something that's inherently evil, there is no good side to the story, you know? Right. It might just be a bad side. But to have the slogan fair and balanced when you're doing nothing that even comes close to being fair and balanced is just bunk it's propaganda right and and i don't even have a problem with what fox does i mean they've got an audience they want to put that forth the only problem i do have is if they say that they're fair and balanced i think that's just a lie well some people go to them and actually think they're getting the news i mean it's sort of like that rotund guy on am radio i don't think of him as a political pundit i don't think of him as a news source i think of him as a shock jock i mean he's just like stern you know, that's what that guy on morning radio is. He's just another Howard Stern. But people go to him because they think he's telling some sort of truth. And if he were in a debate with, you know, anyone of any consequence on the progressive side of the political spectrum, you know, he wouldn't stand up. His arguments wouldn't hold water for five seconds. I mean, if he debated a guy like Chomsky, Chomsky would just crush him in a debate. You know, I mean, he, his arguments would have would have no substance whatsoever. Because they don't have substance. Yeah, because it, it, at the end of the day, it just boils down to some name-calling. Um, I think in many cases, and, and I do listen to his show every once in a while on my lunch break or something, just to hear what he's got to say, because I don't want to be I used, ignorant. You I know? used to do that, but I don't anymore, because I'm not anywhere near a radio, really, when he's on. Yeah. Now, you know? but, but what he usually does, and I've noticed this pattern, is an argument will come up, or some news story will come up, and he'll just say, well, that's just a liberal bias, or that's liberal this, or liberal... He'll just name call, and instead of addressing the argument and talking about it and maybe saying this has some merit, this might not have as much merit as they say it does, or this has quite a bit of merit and maybe they're pushing it too far, instead of talking about the realities of the situation, he's dismissive. His his big trick is to set up a straw man and then knock it down. Mm -hmm. Or another thing that he does is he'll say, liberals say this, liberals do this. And he won't really give any examples, but he'll just give this weird twisted idea and basically he's telling you what to think you know i've made that argument about that guy for years he's just telling people what to think and then they just go around repeating him because i've gotten in debates with there's one guy in particular who's at work who's always got his little am fm radio headphones on and all he's ever has on during the mornings is rush and he tries to make these arguments and they just don't hold water i don't know this is one of the guys who only eats meat by the way (laughs) Seriously, I'm not, I'm not making that as a joke, but could there be a connection? No, no, I don't, we don't want to stereotype. It's just that's the kind of guy he is. He eats meat all the time and he listens to uh, conservative shock jocks. Yeah, because I don't really think these guys are journalists by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. No, definitely not journalists. And and you know what? I think a couple of times I've heard on his show people have said something about that. And, and he's said straight out, he'll admit straight out saying, I'm not a journalist. I'm I'm here to, to give entertainment in my opinion and, and all of that. So I don't think that he would claim that he's a journalist. 
He probably wouldn't. I, I know. think you're right. But I do think that the journalists out there who are claiming that they're completely independent are the ones who are really lying to themselves. Well, simply being brought into this world as a human makes that a lie. Right. So, I mean, until we can have uh, robots of some kind reporting and, and investigating the news, we really won't have any journalism. But at the same time, um, this idea that a story can have a spin um, just because it's shedding negative light on a particular topic really irks me. You know, and and my take on it is, I think that we don't want that to happen. We don't want it to be where the, the ideal is: the journalist is just taking the facts, stringing them together, and being that robot. I think that it would be great if the journalists were completely honest and said, "This is how I feel about this situation, and this is what it means to a human being living in this society." Mm-hmm. Maybe providing some guidance for the people who can't dig into the story like the journalist could. That would be great. And, and you can go to several sources because several journalists can give their take. And then you can finally decide what you want to think after hearing other people's opinions. If you're just fed facts, it's hard for you to digest that stuff and you'll just tune it out. It gets a little more deep, and I actually don't want to get into this now, but Chomsky has shown that stories are actually ignored depending on um, – well, his big example was always classically East Timor versus uh, the killing fields of um, – Help me out here, baby Dr. Valier. Um, I'm, I'm not Cambodia. helping Cambodia. Cambodia. And he was always pointing out how there was a, a period in, in uh, you know, 20 years ago when Cambodia was being reported on like crazy, but East Timor, which was being invaded by uh, Indonesia, and there was a genocidal war going on, and basically the number of casualties were the same, the size of the countries and populations were the same, so everything was equal. But one, he, and he demonstrated in the New York Times, one got hundreds of column inches over the year, and one got like two column inches over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. And his argument always was that uh, Indonesia is being supplied weapons by the U.S., so that's why this isn't being reported on because we wouldn't want these corporations that make bombs that kill people to you know not make a profit this quarter. That would be just really terrible, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and everything is. What do they say? All news is local. It it all really means that if if the news doesn't relate to the human being who's living within the specific community, and that community may be the United States, then really it's not relevant. But in some cases. Some things are relevant to humanity, and I, and I really oh, I think, think that we need to have more of those stories. Oh, I definitely think we do. And, I mean, geez, I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a wide accusatory statement. But, you it's know, not like you to be general. So many people are just concerned about, you know, getting that second SUV in their garage and getting a swimming pool to impress the neighbors. So the only thing that matters to them are just completely, you know, What's the word I want to look for? What's the word I'm looking for here? Parochial. Parochial, shallow kind of things. You know, the outside world doesn't matter. But I think the outside world does matter. And I think people should be a little more focused on what's going on outside of their swimming pool and their SUVs in their neighborhood. But I could rail about that for weeks, so I better stop about that. Yeah, and I'm going to defend – well, I'm not going to defend the uh, the swimming pool SUV crowd so much. But I'm going to defend the, the fact that in the United States at least – People are completely focused on their careers, and I can attest to the fact that, you know, just to, to stay ahead, just to keep your head above water, you're you're really doing a lot of work. The work day is longer, so you don't have a whole lot of energy to to do research and, and to listen to the news and to find out everything else that's going on in the world. So I think there's less and less time for people to discover things outside of their, their small scope. Oh, I definitely think that's true, but I also have to wonder why that's happening, you know? I mean, it's almost as if, like, there's this master evil plan 
with lasers. <laughs> Orbiting space lasers. One million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was going to be my conspiracy theory for the day. But, you know, they're creating conditions in this country which make it really hard for middle class people to survive. And it's almost as if, you know, keeping them busier will keep their... Well, it's just a diversionary tactic, you know? It's like Soylent Green. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Did you know soybeans and lentils? Soylent was actually soybeans and lentils. That was actually what it was in the book. Sounds good. Yeah, that actually sounds like a very nutritious thing. It wasn't people. Soylent Green is not people. It's soybeans and lentils. (sighs) But it must taste better because there's meat in it if it's people. (laughs) People? People! I saw Charlton Heston on Saturday Night Live once. It was... Anyway, whatever. Chuck Heston. Yeah. So, Well, I don't know if it was necessarily a conspiracy, but I definitely think the, the uh, I don't know, the the consumerist way of, of being in this in the United States, this great United States, does drive people to, to purchase more, to consume more, to... To think they need that crap, though. To think that they know? need the, that garbage. It's all marketing hoo-ha. Yep, yep. So, uh, don't buy it. (laughs) Don't believe the hype. That's right. It's all overrated. Go out and get yourself a good bottle of wine. Get with some friends. Talk about stuff that's important. Go for a bike ride. Yep. And, uh, you know, take in some other news sources other than ABC, NBC, CBS. Try truthout.org. We got a link to them right on our website. Yep. If you're used to listening to the corporate crap that the typical media spews, this stuff will shock you. You know why? Because it's the truth. Yeah. and, And don't be swayed by anyone who tells you that it's just biased well bias can be good sometimes and sometimes they're it's not nearly as biased as they're pretending it is sometimes it simply approaches the truth yeah and and from what i from what i've seen um articles that i've read on it they may even just present the articles themselves They'll, they'll take the actual news source and just put it right on the site and say look read it for yourself absolutely so we got another tune. I think we do. It's, yeah, uh, this one's the Gangle tune. This is Mr. W- Guillermo, William Gangle, a friend of mine, classical guitarist, really cool. He's playing a uh, early Baroque piece here. This is sort of like late Renaissance, early Baroque. The composer's name is Girolamo Frescobaldi, and the tune is called Frescobalda. Play on words there. I don't know. I'm wondering about that too, but I'm hoping that's the right title because that's what he told me it was.
Nice track. Very good stuff. I'm a big fan of Renaissance uh, era music and the Baroque period, so that this fits somewhere in between there, and uh, I just love that kind of stuff. Is it because you keep thinking of serving wenches when you're listening to it? Exactly. <laughs> That's probably why. I knew it. Yeah, they're wearing their lots of buttons on their shirts. I do know that. And lots of like corset ties in the front, stuff like that. Serving up legs of mutton. <laughs> Big honking legs of mutton and some... Um, uh, what's that metal? Um, pewter. Pewter goblets or something, you know? Yep. Mead. Mead. <laughs> well, we know places to find that. Yep. The local SCA crowd makes their own. Weapons, too. John isn't wearing pants, by the way. That's one of the bullets on our whiteboard for the show today. I'm I'm just not doing it anymore. It's actually not even a whiteboard. What is it? Uh, it's a magnificent marquee of malevolence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while, so it's kind of important. No, I think that, pe- that people think that uh, pants are necessary. I think they're highly overrated. And um, I think that I'm not just going to bow down to the man anymore. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not going to say a thing. I don't even know. I don't know. What does that mean? But it certainly uh, requires a joke. But not going to do it. Not going to do it. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> now, that's just gorilla dust. That's my other presidential uh, oh, hopeful geez. impression. Of, uh, You're doing an day. impression of an impression. I know. I really am. <laughs> Mr. Carvey. So I saw a film at the MWPAI.org. Which is, by the way, that place that won't sell me tickets to concerts in the corn on movie night. We should just have a, a sound clip of you saying that. And then I'll just hit you the button. Put the bu- yeah. Push the button. It's easier. I saw a film that prior to seeing it advertised in the upcoming films at Munson Williams, uh, wasn't even aware it existed. It's a film called The World's Fastest Indian. And there's not a Native American or anybody. To be- no, there is a Native American to be found in this, by the way. They had to have a little fun with that, I guess. Hmm. This is... A film about Burt Monroe, this crazy Kiwi, this this wacky neighbor kind of guy who lives in New Zealand and has this dream about setting a land speed record on a motorcycle at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Guess what kind of motorcycle he's riding? An Indian. Yes. Made in Springfield, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And that's actually part of the joke. He goes to the bank to get a loan, and the girl's name is like Callie Springfield, and he goes... Your name is Springfield, you know, and she's okay. So that's where Indian motorcycles are made. Best motorcycles in the world, you know. Hmm. It was kind of funny. Anyway, it's a Roger Donaldson film, 2005. I think it came out around December, 127 minutes, and the film is exactly about that. It's about the trials and tribulations of this guy Burt Monroe, who now is a huge folk hero in New Zealand, taking this like 1920s Indian, hot rodding it taking it all halfway around the world to the Bonneville Salt Flats and doing some speed runs and breaking all kinds of records. Fantastic. And hmm. I'm going to say something now that I said to John earlier that is going to mean a lot to some of you and mean nothing and make you want to run screaming in the other direction <laughs> to one or two others of you. And it's definitely going to confirm Rich's status as uber geek. I haven't had this much fun at a movie since The Princess Bride. That was the last time I got so into a film, and it was so much fun. Prior to that, the most fun I had at a film was as an 11-year-old in 1977 as Star Wars, at Star Wars. This film, of course, isn't a science fantasy or a fantasy of any kind. It's sort of a comedy, drama, historical piece about this Burt Monroe, but everybody in the theater had so much fun at this film. And it was a very diverse crowd by Munson Williams Proctor Arts Institute standards. There was lots of guys with like beards, leather jackets, and tattoos at this show. Are you saying tattoos are... Uh... Indicative of bikers? 
Yes. Well, Are no, you... I'm not saying that because they're quite popular and trendy now. There's even like, you know, reality TV shows with tattoo people on it and stuff. But you you see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I think there were some people in the crowd who wouldn't normally go to a Munson show that were in this crowd. And in fact, I've never been at a film where they had to add um, folding chairs so that they could increase the audience size and, and have a seat for everyone. And I'm not even sure what to say about this film because there's so many cool little funny sweet moments in the film and so many cool things that I don't want to spoil it. But I will say this. If you're a geek, you're going to love the film. <laughs> if you're in, a tinkerer like John is and he likes reading Make Magazine and Boing Boing and all that stuff and you're into like you know building things, you're going to love this film because this guy basically built this bike out of bear skin and stone knives, to quote another <laughs> Star Trek episode. He was casting his own pistons. I mean, he was actually sand at casting? that. Um, I'm not sure if he was actually sand casting. I'm not sure what the molds were, but he was casting his own pistons. Wow, that's cool. And it's just a lot of fun. And I mean, it really is a wonderful film. And you're you're just going to, you're so into the film. And he's such a cool, likable guy. And I guess I haven't even said who plays him, have I? Burt Monroe is played by Anthony Hopkins. And he's, he's a hack. And he he's a is has-been. So in the last 20 years, he's done so many roles where he's been just brilliant. I guess after his alcoholism thing, he got really good. you know. But <laughs> he plays this guy. And as a, uh, I was reading some reviews online, and I guess he got the New Zealand accent spot on. You know, so he didn't quite sound like a Brit. In fact, every time uh, he would be in the United States and somebody would ask him if he's a Brit, he would say, no, I'm not a palm. What does that mean? An apple? What is that? A, is palm? that a, is that a Kiwi uh, pejorative for a, a person from uh, the UK? I don't even know. I don't no, know. I have no clue. I'll have to get the film and watch it with American with English subtitles, I should say, because some there were actually a few moments where he did the accent so well and there was so much going on. I couldn't understand what he said. And they were funny moments. And uh I didn't quite get what the joke was. So I am going to buy this film when it comes out. I don't think it's out quite yet, but this is a lot of fun. And again, as I said, if you're a geek, if you're into tinkering, if you're a person who likes to root for the underdog and nobody likes to do that, no, you're going to love this film. You're going to have such a good time. You're going to be cheering for this guy. It's great fun. And you know, there's a punchline, not a punchline. There's a payoff at the end of the film where they put up some text and quote a few facts about what he did at Bonneville that... I'm not even going to spoil it for you, but just go see this film. It's a lot of fun. And Ken, I know you're out there, and I know you're a motorcycle guy. You need to go see this too so we can talk about it. Yeah, and and films like this, and again, I haven't seen it, um, but I've heard that they don't usually – or they don't um, get all the facts right or they they fictionalize some of the the events that happen in this. And kind of like our discussion about the news, I don't necessarily think that for a story like this that all of the facts have to be in line. I think that to get the point about this is a great guy, this is a guy who accomplished something from scratch, you know, he, he through hard work and, and no, perseverance. No budget. And None. no budget. He did this amazing thing. It doesn't matter if the speed was 199 or 200 or whatever it was. As long as you get the idea of what this person was all about, I think that's the important thing. The story came through. Yeah, the story was great. And I know for a fact that they got some of the historical facts wrong because I went and did some research after I saw the film <laughs> on the guy. And I know they got some of the historical facts wrong, but who cares? Right. Basically, he ended up going to Bonneville seven times, I think, in the 60s. And by the end of those seven times, the records that he ultimately got were real. you know. And uh, one of the numbers was wrong in the film, but... Um, they're, they're trying to sum up – they tried to sum up his seven visits to Bonneville in the one visit that they portrayed in the film. And that's not historically accurate, but who cares? That's what I want to say. It condensed the essence of the, the person yeah. and, and his importance in one visit. Yeah, and, and that's fine because, boy, that would have been a long film if they had to do all seven visits to Bonneville, you know? 
Yeah, well, if you ever saw any documentaries about World War II, it would have been, what, six years long if you watched any of them in, in real time? <laughs> or what about that TV show, MASH? How many seasons did that go? Yeah, seriously. And the the war wasn't war, even that no, long. The war, the war was half the length or one-third the length of uh, of the number of seasons that MASH had. So I don't have a problem with a little bit of artistic license. Right. And the guy who made the film is a Kiwi, and clearly uh, Mr. Monroe was a childhood hero of his. And I think it's okay. We need heroes. I know that's an old cliche. It, but, you know, this guy is great. He's like the wacky neighbor that the neighbors tolerated but loved in his neighborhood because he'd be out there at 5 a.m. revving his bike, you know, with the new cast piston that he just uh, <laughs> made the night before. And he'd take it out on the beach and, and take it out for a speed trial, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just fantastic. I was just cheering the whole time. The kind of heroes that we need are not the kind of heroes who can hit a ball or throw a ball into a basket or run really fast the kind of heroes that we need are the kind of heroes that through hard work do something important for humanity or do something important or say something important or make our lives better there was a sort of a purity to what he did he wanted to set a speed record and he dedicated all of his life to getting that indian motorcycle to go fast and he ended up going on the salt flats and he ended up breaking a bunch of records and that's a good thing yeah sounding like that woman yeah. who was in prison. Yeah, and and what I'm saying is that while maybe he was involved in, you know, setting a record, a speed record, that's probably not the important part of his life. That's probably not the important part of the story. The speed record's not the important part. I think it's the journey. It's the journey. It's the Absolutely. work that he did, the dedication. So, yeah, I, I think that we definitely have to look at people like that and put them on a pedestal instead of someone who just gets $40 million to you know, play 30 games a year. Or and not like that, that there aren't some legitimate legitimately good human beings in pro sports. But Absolutely they there are. There are definitely other places to look for heroes. I mean, these guys are put on a pedestal, and some of them aren't stellar citizens, you know? No. This guy was dirt poor. He lived out of his garage, and it was a tiny little shack, and it was his dream to go to the Salt Flats, and he did, and he set some records, and it was really cool. But anyway, go see it. It's really good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to see it. And again... Put it in your queue. It's in my queue. Is my, it really? It's in my queue now. You actually put it in or you're going to? I'm going to. By the time the show airs, it's in my queue. Okay, good. What do we got? I don't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this show went really long and I so didn't want it to go this long. Yeah, there's going to be some edits. It'll be shorter. Yeah, it will be shorter, but you know, we just got involved in these conversations. We got to stop having conversations and the shows are going to be a lot shorter. Yeah, we can stop it all all together. Okay. Anyway, remember, you're listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Visit us on the web at www.bloodyveg.com. And send us large bags of cash to feedback at bloodyveg.com. He did get a large bag of cash, by the way, in that movie. Did he? Yeah, there's a scene where he got a large bag of cash. Cool. Did it have a dollar sign on it? No. It wasn't like something out of the Batman TV show. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Do we have anything else to say at this time? Bye-bye. Good night, good luck, all that stuff. And remember, you're listening to V.I.B. V.I.B.